So I'm going to invite Gary to come and share with us. Do you want to come up, Gary? Uh, it's been great to get to know Gary over these last uh, many months, and it's a great blessing. He speaks at Weirdy Castle, and is part of us here in Jill, and uh, uh, speaks here as well. So let's pray for Gary this morning. Lord, we do thank you for your word, and thank you. We know that it's alive in, in Gary. You've put something in his heart, and we pray that you'd bring it alive to us. Father, we do love it when you... You know, when we hear a message and there's just something there, we know you're speaking to us. We pray that you bless Gary, Lord God. We pray he would, he would sense your pleasure as he speaks. And we pray that we would be aware of those one or two things you really want us to take hold of as we commit this, this next few moments to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Gary. Thank you very much indeed. And it's, uh, it's great to be here this morning. Um, a couple of days ago... Uh, Mrs. Cadge and I were, were walking down Oxford Street in London. How many of you, are you familiar with Oxford Street in London? That's it, that's because we don't live in London. We're, uh, we're all tourists when we go to London, so we go to Oxford Street. It is supposedly London's number one shopping street. It has to be said it's not looking its best at the moment. Birmingham is definitely overtaking London as the prime city in the country. It's not, Oxford Street is not looking its best. Despite the, uh, the empty Debenhams and the unstoppable rise of American sweet shops, who knew that we needed seven American sweet shops in one street? I didn't know that. I'd, I couldn't name one American sweet if my life depended on it. But apparently we need seven sweet shops. It is safe to say, though, that the shopkeepers of London are ready for Christmas. They are, they are ready to go. We went into a, a delightful Danish shop, which uh, was selling all manner of gifts and decorations. When, when we were kids, I'm, I'm talking to gentlemen of a certain age now, when we were kids, Christmas decorations on the tree, you got tinsel and you got baubles. I'm, I'm looking at this tree over here. This, this was decorated by, and that's right, I know who this was decorated by. There's an awful lot of baubles on this tree. Not a lot of tinsel, but an awful lot of baubles. If you were posh, back when, when, when we weren't posh, if you were posh, you got more baubles. That's, that's how you told posh from not posh, and you got the good tinsel. You got the tinsel that lasted more than one year. If you were royal family posh, you got fairy lights. You got about 12 of them on a bit of, bit of wire, about three foot long, made by the potential fire trap lighting company. <laughs> Times have changed. These days, nobody is anyone unless they've got at least 750 lights on their tree. These lights have got more functions than a Swiss army knife. They play music, they flash in time to the music. If you pay extra, they will compose the music. While, well, as soon as you switch it on, you get a, a brand new composition. In the, uh, the, the Flying Tiger shop in Oxford Street, that was, that's the Danish shop... You can buy the very latest 
of Christmas decorations for your tree. I see we haven't been there. (laughs) Sparkly, glittery speedboats are a thing now, apparently. Sparkly, glittery jukeboxes are are a thing for your Christmas tree. Who doesn't want a sparkly, glittery uh, jukebox? I nearly said shoebox. We've got enough of those. To hang, who doesn't want that? I was really tempted by the sparkly, glittery cement mixers. I just wanted, I wanted to buy one just to put it on our tree at home for that moment when the visitors come and see we've got cement mixers hanging from our Christmas tree and start edging towards the door. That's, uh, hmm. But Oxford Street is ready. For Christmas. The BBC, they're ready for Christmas. Just this week, they announced, Sean the Sheep is heading up the schedule. The flight before Christmas. By the way, on the video there, gentlemen, gentlemen, if a random Santa ever says to you, what do you want for Christmas? The answer is Ferrari. You can sell the Ferrari. You can buy all the socks and pants you want. Did you see the look on that guy's face when he opened it and thought, I have missed the biggest opportunity in my life. Quoting from the BBC, Sean's seasonal excitement turns to dismay as everyone learns the true value of Christmas. I wonder what the true value of Christmas is. There's a new adaptation of a Julia Donaldson book, Superworm, narrated by Olivia National Treasure because Oscar Coleman. And Matt, national treasure, because Doctor Who Smith is also narrating that. Around the World in 80 Days is being redone, starring David, national treasure, because better Doc, and we needed a Scottish one, Tennant. (laughs) Death in Paradise gets a a Christmas episode, because what what says Yuletide more than a Caribbean whodunit? There will be babies born at Nanata's house. Will they all make it? EastEnders has not one, but two couples preparing for marriage. Will they all make it? Apparently, in this year's EastEnders, the road to married bliss is not smooth. Who'd have thought? (laughs) These writers, they come up with surprises every year, don't they? There's a brace of of David Attenborough's. There's an actual Doctor Who who's not yet a national treasure because she's from Yorkshire. And finally, three quarters of the way down the press release, a lone chorister will start to sing once in Royal David City from King's College, Cambridge. The BBC is ready for Christmas. And at three o'clock on Christmas Day, 
her Madge will preach the gospel. Because she always does, because she's the national, the most national of all treasures, and she knows Jesus. Even network rail are ready for Christmas. Don't you dare try to get to Heathrow Airport on Boxing Day. They have been waiting all year to get their hands on that section of track. They're going to re-signal it. The Heathrow Express is not running. In a spectacular bit of being ready for Christmas planning, London Underground is also closing their line to Heathrow for that day. While we are tucking into a fine, this is Boxing Day, a fine breakfast of bubble and squeak and turkey curry, the, the Orange Army will be hard at work sorting things out in a manly and indeed also a womanly fashion. Did I mention the Gatwick Express is also not running, but you can still get a Gatwick Not Express if you really must get to the Caribbean for New Year. Network Rail is ready for Christmas. Two thousand years ago, a month before the big day, who was ready for Christmas? Big bit in brackets here for the Christian Pedants Association, of which I count myself a lifelong member. We don't know what date Jesus was actually born on. But for the purposes of this morning, we are going with December the 25th, a date we repurposed from the pagans when Christianity came to the West. That's all right. Phil's going to explain that all next week. So, a month before... The big day, who was ready for Christmas? Mary had a body clock that told her that at some point she was going to have a baby. Was she ready? Is any mum ever truly ready? Joseph had a wife who had a body clock that told her that at some point she was going to have a baby that wasn't his. Was he ready? Is any dad ever truly ready? Was he looking forward to the birth? The shepherds on the hillside looking after their sheep a month out from Christmas Day, they had about a month to go before they would be aware of anything. They were not ready for Christmas. The wise men were way off in the east. We don't know exactly where. Tradition has a load of different guesses, but, but we don't know. Let's assume they did do the Christmas card thing. Let's assume they all came from the same place. Let's assume there was camels involved and a whole caravan of camels. These guys were the ones checking the skies. They were watching for, for signs in heaven. These guys were the preppers. They were, they had dedicated their lives to preparing for the beginning of the world. It's likely that the wise men were on the road 
or they were at least planning to be on the road. They were getting the supplies together. A month before the big day, and again, let's add a caveat, tradition says they turned up 12 days after the big event, so the month for them was more like six weeks. Of all the people in the story, these are the ones who were really ready for Christmas. Wait a minute, though. Wait a single hold-your-horses minute. What about Jesus? What about the baby in the manger? Was he ready for Christmas? I've been privileged to see two babies born. Neither of them looked like they were ready when they popped out there there were expressions on their faces not uh, the, readiness was not an expression on their faces they both looked ever so slightly confused and they're probably still working through the trauma but what what of jesus of course jesus as fully man was just as lost and confused as as my boys. But Jesus, as fully God, was prepared for this moment since before the creation of the world, before the beginning of time. There's a beautiful passage in John 17. Jesus does a lot of praying towards the end of the Gospel of John. It's like he's summing up his life and purpose. And Hollywood would have this as the deathbed scene. They would, they, would be, they would have Jesus there calling all of his significant other people to him one after the other and, and handing on some pearl of wisdom. And he prays for Christians and he prays for unbelievers and he prays for himself. And during this scene he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. He was ready. He was ready. We are going to ask Pastor Phil to explain the intricacies of the Trinity at some point in the future. And I know that uh, Jesus is talking to himself in this prayer. But um, so we can understand what he's saying, he sets his, his inner chat as having a discussion between two people. And we'll continue that convention this morning because it's helpful. But let's never forget God the Father and God the Son are one and the same. Jesus is talking about having brought glory to his Father through the work he's done on earth. He is saying, you sent me here to do a job. You prepared me. You got me ready. You sent me here to do a job. And I have brought glory to you because I've done that job. I've completed the task. On the day of his death, Jesus will cry, Tetelestai, it is finished. And he's not talking about his life, although he does then 
die. He's talking about the job that God the Father sent him to do. Tetelestai, it is finished. The job is done. It is complete. It's finished. Salvation has come. Forgiveness has come. Redemption has come. Freedom has come. Acceptance has come. And then Jesus says, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Take me back to heaven, God. Bring me home, Dad. Jesus talks about them sharing glory before the world began. When did Jesus start getting ready for Christmas? Before the world began. That's even before Anybody else going for a cheap shot there, bailed out the last minute. In the eighth chapter of John, we see Jesus having a chat with some people. He did a lot of that. He's talking in terms of personal connection with Abraham at this point. And for the uh, historians, the easy way to remember the timings in the Old Testament, Abraham, 2000 BC, Moses, 1500, David, 1000. Rough dates, but it's helpful to keep things in place. So Jesus has been claiming to know Abraham as he's talking to his followers. He's talking about, you know, sort of chatting with Abraham, knowing Abraham, having a, having a personal connection with Abraham. And Abraham lived as close to Jesus as we do historically. If we, if we want to get to Abraham, we've got to go all the way back to Jesus and go as far back the other side. Abraham, or as he's known to historians, Iron Age man. It's a long, long way back. The people said to Jesus, you're not even 50 years old. How can you say you've seen Abraham? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. He doesn't say, I was. He doesn't say, before Abraham was born, I was. He specifically says, before Abraham was born, I am. It's, it's a, one of a number of I am sayings that Jesus has, and they're phrased that way to reinforce to us that Jesus operates outside of normal, the, the normal restrictions of time. Jesus is and was and always will be. His place in time is eternal. He restricted himself. Philippians 2 says that he emptied himself of of his equality with God the Father when he was on earth. So he was born and he aged and he felt pain and he ate and he drank and ultimately he died. But he is eternal. I am and I always will am. Jesus was ready for Christmas. And in case we think it's all about John, here's Paul talking to the Colossian church. Christ, the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, 
kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Jesus was ready for Christmas. A month out from the day of his birth, at the start of Advent, which hadn't been labelled at the time, Jesus was eager to get on with the job. He was excited about Christmas. Since the beginning of time, well, specifically since that unfortunate incident in the apple garden, Jesus had been waiting for the day when Operation Redemption was on. He'd been waiting for the day, waiting for the time, waiting for the, for the right time. I don't want to oversimplify or trivialize this illustration, so please treat this carefully. But it had been a bit empty in heaven for a long time. God loves company. God loves a party. Every time somebody gets saved... And let's, let's pray that this Christmas, people will be saved. Wouldn't it be great for, for this to be the first Christmas where somebody really understands who Jesus is? Every time somebody gets saved, the Bible says there is a party in heaven. God loves a party. And since Adam sinned, there had been a severe lack of new starters in heaven. Jesus was ready for Christmas. He was ready to get working on opening the door to heaven. He was ready to get on with some barrier dismantling so, so everyone who believes in him can have eternal life in him. Romans 5 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus has made us friends of God. The reason Jesus was ready for Christmas is because he was ready for you. That's what it comes down to. Jesus was excited to be able to finally set you free from the prison of guilt and regret that comes from, from our bad decisions. Don't forget that Jesus is the reason for the season. We hear that phrase over and over and over again, don't we? And, and we shouldn't forget that. It's true, but it doesn't go as far as it could. Jesus is the reason for the season. It's not really about the tinsel and the turkey and the Brussels sprouts and the wine. It's about Jesus. And for Jesus, it's about us. Now, please don't misread me. It's not about us because we're fantastic and better than God. It's about us because he, he loves us so much that he wants to save us. It's about us because, because the, the very heart of God is to restore connection between, between man and God, between heaven and earth. 
It's about us because of his love, not because, not because we're anything particularly fantastic, although, you know, there's a few fantastic ones here. Um, it's, not, it's not about us for that reason. And, you know, every one of you has gone, yeah, I know there are some fantastic ones here, but he's not talking about me. Yes, I am. Andrew knows I'm talking about him. Yes, fantastic. That's, that's, that's not what it's about. It's not because we're fantastic. It's because he loves us. And he wants us. And he wants to be connected with us. For Jesus, it's about us. So as we think ahead a few weeks, as we hang our sparkly cement mixers on our trees, as we plonk our newly overfilled and bloated bodies down into our favourite chair and fire up the telly box for a big helping of national treasures, or as we pull our sorry selves onto a replacement bus service somewhere under a silent shopping centre, let's remember the excitement in the heart of Jesus as he got ready to do the job he am. His task to reconnect the heart of God with the heart of mankind. Thank you and happy Christmas.